Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to KEDC, and this is Red Sea Roundup. I am your co-host for today, Pam Marvin. Um, oh, I'm going to be, <laughs> be turning over the reins this this morning to Thaddeus. So, good morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Pam. How are you? I'm so good. And if anyone by chance would like to call in today, our numbers are 855-683-7332. We are going to be visiting with um, Mr. John Schrader after our breaks. But to get started this morning, I wanted to um, really reflect on a recent saint of the day that's just really stayed with me since I read about her. I mean, I've known about St. Josephine Baquita. Um, I had read a little about her. I was familiar but this month made me dig a little deeper into this precious saint. So it's just something really the Lord put on my heart. And so I want to just kind of um, give you just a brief um, summary of St. Paquita. She she was a slave, but during her slave times, she was actually severely beaten and really tortured some of the time. And so to know that what kind of a horrible existence that she had to live in for quite a year, quite many years of her life, yet through all of that, she found so much love and joy in the Lord. And, and to me, that's so astounding. And what a beautiful example, because... I know me and my little self-pity party some days, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And it's what, just being a mom and uh, that kind of thing. So I want to read uh, some notable quotes that she had. Um, This one was my favorite. She said, seeing the sun, the moon, and the stars, I said to myself, who could be the master of these beautiful things? I felt a great desire to see him, to know him, and to pay him homage. And if I were to meet the slave traders who kidnapped me and even those who tortured me, I would kneel and kiss their hands. For if that did not happen, I would not be a Christian and a religious today. The Lord has loved me so much. We must love everyone and we must be compassionate. Wow. I mean, I read that and it's just like she said she would kiss the hands of her torturers, of those kidnappers. That's just a little more than my mind can get around. And so when that happens, I like to sit and ponder with those types of thoughts that she got to that place, that she could be so grateful. Um, This is just one of those examples how God can use such an evil for a great, a great good in her case. And, And here she is. Yeah, I think that's an example also, uh, Pam, of someone who has their their life rightly ordered. She has the highest good ordering all of her other goods and all of her other um, things that happen to her in her life. So she recognizes that that suffering and that pain that she went through, uh, even though it was 
a wrong that was done to her is in the service of some greater good, and that's her relationship with Christ, her uh, her embrace of the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And I have a special place in my heart now for St. Josephine Baquita because of our little girl who is named, who Josephine. shares the same name. She's not, she's not named directly for St. Josephine, but that's certainly one of her uh, patron saints now. Wow. Uh, and, what, and what a tremendous, simple, humble um, saint that she is, you know? Yes. And I'm particularly drawn to these saints that have so much joy when they've been through so much torment. Because, again, I think in this, uh, what I am firmly believing and calling the poverty of the prosperity of our country, with the excess and everything, the slightest discomforts in our world, we're Material moaning. prosperity, <laughs> spiritual poverty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's why I call it the poverty of that prosperity because you're so distracted with the goods mm-hmm. um, in, in this world where we're complaining about just everything. I mean, you see it so widely, widely. So these saints that widely were, and wildly, yeah, <laughs> these saints that really uh, have embraced their um, such a great thing that they had such to be sorrowful, a sorrowful for, um, but that yet they embrace with such joy because of their love of the Lord and their, great joy and just knowing him regardless. And and I guess you could just say in this situation as well, you can see kind of a, this abandonment to divine providence and that even though it was a somewhat of an evil, um, you can see that. Yeah. And I think actually St. Josephine is, is a good place to mention that our Red Sea Catholic radio family retreat is coming up and the patroness and guiding star of that retreat is Another saint of great humility, great simplicity, great trust in the Lord, and that's St. Therese of Lisieux, mm-hmm. the, of the child Jesus. And that's March 6th and 7th. It's at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church in College Station uh, on Friday evening, and then all day on Saturday, there's going to be three tremendous speakers. We're going to have a religious sister, a Dominican sister, speaking on the principle of humility in St. Therese's um, wow. spirituality. Um, Dr. Leonora Butow from the John Paul II uh, Foundation talking about kind of giving an overview of St. Therese's spirituality and her relationship with her parents, Saints Zelie and Louis Martin. And then finally, a Catholic family, um, Johanna and Juan Garcia, parents of eight children coming over from San Antonio to talk about the practicalities, the nuts and bolts, the down and dirty of living the little way. That's the theme of the retreat Mm -hmm. in the family. So go to redsearadio.org slash retreat. It's only $35 for for a family. And if you're coming as an individual, and we welcome you to do that too, $10 for an individual. redsearadio.org slash retreat. Get your registration squared away now. We would love to see you there. And whether you're in College Station or over in Hearn or up in the central Texas area or even willing to drive over from Palestine, we would love to have you there. And now let's go to our station director in Waco, Robin Waters, to talk about the benefit dinner coming up there in central Texas. Robin, good morning. Good morning, Thaddeus. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I know we had a little bit of a technical situation for a moment, but we got you back on and we're glad to have you. Tell us the details of the 
Waco Benefit Dinner coming up. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, we're blessed. Uh, we're going to be having our annual Red Sea Catholic Radio uh, KYAR 98.3 Benefit Dinner on Thursday, May the 7th. It's going to take place at the Parish Activity Center at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Waco. Doors are going to open at 630. We're going to have a delicious meal. I can tell you that the food is going to be wonderful, the fellowship is going to be engaging, and that the Holy Spirit is going to be active. Uh, Father uh, Albert Hass is going to be our uh, keynote speaker, and uh, I can promise you, you've never met anyone more on fire for the Lord than Father Albert. Yep. So what you're basically saying also is people need to get their Hass and gear and get registered for that benefit dinner, right? (laughs) I wouldn't say that, but I'm glad you said (laughs) <laughs> and how do they do that? How do they get registered for the benefit dinner? Just go to redsearadio.org. Go uh, to the uh, uh, hover over the home tab and then click on the Red Sea Catholic Radio KYAR Benefit 2020 tab. And you can do everything right there and get it all set up. Right. We encourage people to, uh, especially groups, uh, KCs or Catholic Daughters or other other church groups to uh, uh, come in and get a get a table. There's different levels. You'll see those there on the website, or you can buy individual tickets for uh, twenty five dollars a piece. And uh, we're going to fill this, this this thing up. It's going to be a great event. Yes, it certainly is, and it is just a wonderful opportunity to bring all the parishes together there in the Central Texas area to celebrate the difference that Catholic Radio can make in individuals' lives, in families' lives, in parish life. So, Robin, keep up the good work there in Waco and in Central Texas, and especially in your hometown of West that you keep deeply and close in your heart, and have a great day. Thank you very much. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, Pam. Yeah. Now we need to talk about someone else who is... In the news. In the news and living that that life of uh, humility and exactly. gratitude for suffering. It's amazing. Tell us about it? this. Yeah. So both Thaddeus and I came across this. Um, it is Father John Hallowell recently took to social media to announce that he um, he has a brain tumor. Yeah. And very young Ill. guy, young priest. <clears throat> and after his brain scans, of course, they uh, they thought it was a stroke, but he. That was not it. <laughs> he had a brain tumor, and he has decided to offer up all of his sufferings for the scandal in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quote Beautiful. from the article he he wrote uh, on his blog, quote, I prayed in 2018 that if there was some suffering I could undertake on behalf of all the victims, some cross I could carry, I would welcome that. I feel like this is that cross, wow. and I embrace it willingly. I mean, that is just... So be careful what you pray for, folks, because God is listening. You know, I, I, I read that, and I think, I want to be that guy. I mean, I want to imagine myself as that kind of a Catholic that would do that, but I don't know if I have the intestinal right, fortitude right, to, right. to say that. But I do mm. think that by putting his suffering and his disease in that context and uniting it with the sufferings of Christ, he's in control of that disease now. So that true. disease is not in control of him. And you could, also, you could also, I dare say, take it one step further to say that this is actually bringing him 
some joy, joy yeah. in the Lord that his prayer has been answered. Yes. yes. Um, it's beautiful. It's just, it's, it's one of those things again, that is so challenging for us to kind of wrap our minds around because suffering in our culture today is thought to be so mm, it's bad, bad, no suffering when, in, in when embraced properly and in right order, as you were speaking about earlier, Thaddeus, it can be something very beautiful for God. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Pam, because he later went on to write that he is, quote, very much at peace. You will all be in my prayers as I pray daily for the salvation of all the souls of those who live and study within my parish boundaries. And he is interceding for all those who are sick or suffering in any way through Our Lady of Lords. His intercessions are being made. Right. So that's just a very inspiring story. Please, please pray for Father Hollowell and pray for all priests and religious, especially who, in addition to their, you know, responsibilities as religious, then have an additional burden of, you know, a sickness, whether it be spiritual, uh, mental, uh, right. physical. You know, with Lent being just here on our doorstep, yeah, I want to mm-hmm. challenge our um, our listeners maybe that that you could offer up a small suffering for the suffering in your particular area, starting with your your parish in your diocese, so that maybe there's one small suffering that you could um, unite with uh, Father Hollowell mm-hmm. in his sufferings too, to just kind of make it a louder prayer. I always kind of imagine when, you know, we say two or more are gathered, Lord is with us, but when all of us, even throughout the world, pray together, mm-hmm. I feel like it resonates at a higher, higher level when God's like, oh, he's always listening as we know. Yeah. And as we, um, as we finish up here and we get ready to go to the second part of the show, we want to let you know that you're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio. This is Red Sea Roundup, our weekly general interest um, news program, you might say. Uh, it's got a different host each week. I'm co-hosting with my uh, vivacious <laughs> Pam Marvin sitting across from me. We're on KDC 88.5 FM and KYAR in 98.3 in Central Texas and 107.9 KINF over in Palestine. We're going to be talking with John Schrader when we come back from break about a new illuminated edition of the classic spiritual text, The Imitation of Christ. He's going to tell us all about that and reintroduce you to that great text if you've uh, maybe been away from it before or never have heard of it before. Stay with us. We're coming back on the other side of the break. This is Red Sea Roundup on Red Sea Catholic Radio. I've been a Welcome back. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup. And today we're going to be speaking with Mr. John Schrader. He is the executive director at theimitationofchrist.com and producer of a special illuminated edition of Thomas Akempis' devotional classic, 
The Imitation of Christ, published by Sophia Institute Press to mark the 600-year anniversary of its initial publication. Amazing. 600-year-old spiritual classic. Mm -hmm. John, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Thaddeus and Pam. Thanks for having me. Uh, delighted to be with you this morning. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, this is this is an exciting opportunity for us to get to talk to you about something that you know is familiar to generations of of Catholics, and we want to make new generations uh, familiar with Thomas Akempis's great work. But first, tell us a little bit about your background in publishing and writing. Sure, uh, because it all works together. And let me just say that you know I believe that writing is among the most noble of of pursuits. Writers have recorded all the knowledge of the world, you know, whether scientific, scriptural, historic, literary, what would our world be without writers? And um, I I was impressed at a very early age by the closing scene of Camelot, where Arthur is speaking with this young boy who wants to join the battle. And no, Arthur tells him, go home and write, keep alive the story of Camelot, Mm -hmm. all its hopes and ideas and so forth. And if you remember that scene, right, you see Arthur just roaring, run, boy, run. Mm -hmm. So so I'm happy that writing is something that has come somewhat easily to me. I love to write, not only for the creative aspects. Writing is the best way I know of learning. And the more I write, the more I learn. And uh, because I'm also a businessman, I'm also a member of the publishing process and and so i'm engaged in both and um and i i'm always looking for interesting intersections across domains so for example uh, our most recent book which came out just two weeks ago is called aftershock which is published on the 50-year anniversary of alvin toffler's future shock and so many people listening will remember that book so it's a book about the future and what we can do to shape it so this actually has an interesting dovetail to the imitation of christ Because in Aftershock, I write that if we want to realize a different kind of future, we're going to have to populate it with a different kind of human. In other words, notwithstanding all the amazing technology that we have today, and we'll see in the coming years, all the changes it will bring to the way we live, human nature doesn't change. So wherever you go, there you are, and that includes the future. And so to me, that speaks to our formation as humans, what we value how we go about determining our way of being in the world. And so I am just very grateful that Thomas Akempis also loved to write and that he wrote The Imitation of Christ because it is, in my opinion, the single greatest source of instruction for human formation. And that extends actually well beyond faith formation. It's, it's practical in many surprising ways in telling, in telling us how we can get along with others, for example, and we could use a bit of that these days. <laughs> Yeah, Pam, you are a, a huge proponent of human formation. Absolutely. That's something that matters very dear to you. And for the listeners who may be, you know, new to the program and, and your theme, talk about what does human formation mean in your your definition? You, Pam. Uh, so um, as a convert, you know, I came into this world with very little formation at all. It was in a I was in an agnostic home. And so I felt like uh, where I needed most was now that I knew a lot of theology I, and to go to that direction, human formation, meaning, you know, just some guidance on how God wanted us to be, could be found in the simple things like imitation of Christ. So that, so basically virtue um, driven by a heart for God is really a part of uh, human formation for me. And this was definitely, I found this in my path several years ago, 
Um, and I'm so happy to bring it back and kind of fluff it back up and introduce it again to our, our listening audience. Yeah. So Pam, you're a convert. I'm a, a died in the wool cradle Catholic. Uh, John, what's your Catholic story? Were you raised in the faith or did you convert from another tradition? Um, yes, to both. <laughs> Catholic story is kind of a long and winding road, but I'll shorten it with just a little shortcut. So I was born and baptized Catholic, but I was not confirmed until I was an adult. And so it was due to a sequence of events and circumstances from age seven, my Christian experience was Protestant. And so my mother was Catholic. My dad was raised a Mennonite. So there's a crazy combination. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I drifted from Catholic to Presbyterian to Mennonite and then back to Catholic. Um, but it wasn't until I was married and had kids that I, I addressed that nagging Catholic itch and decided to do something about it. We're so, thankful for that itch. Uh, let me say that. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. No, it. I think it never really left. And so I myself enrolled in uh, an RCIA program at a local Catholic church in um, Colorado Springs and was confirmed. And 10 years later, my lifelong Protestant uh, and formerly also Mennonite wife followed. Mm -hmm. And I actually sponsored her in our CIA. And so every week she says, thank you for making me Catholic. And I have to say, early on, you were talking about St. Josephine. That's her saint. Oh, wow. What a neat providential. Yeah, God does that. (laughs) That's very providential. Yes. I got excited to hear that. Cool. Well, you know, speaking of St. Josephine Baquita, and we've got Thomas Akempis, um, you came Catholic tradition, but you've also got these other, you know, influences as well. Who are some of your spiritual heroes in the Catholic tradition or otherwise? And I guess use that to maybe springboard into what drew you to this project with the Imitation of Christ. Yeah, so in the Protestant world, my heroes were C.S. Lewis, Oswald Chambers, mm-hmm. you know, A.W. Tozer, and, and others in that you know, pantheon, right? right. So, and, and, and these are all writers who actually have a lot of crossover appeal in the Catholic world. Um, right, C.S. Lewis, very, certainly. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, here, here again, you ask me who my heroes are, and I rattle off a bunch of writers. <laughs> <laughs> so today, I'm more inclined toward Thomas Merton and G.K. Chesterton, you know? Yeah. Uh, but here's the amazing thing. A long time ago, my dear Catholic mother gave me a little book called The Imitation of Christ. My godmother gave me my copy. Do you still have it? I do. I do still have it. I hope you do. Yeah. Well, this was actually just one of those cheap little paperback Dover editions. Okay. But she inscribed it, and, and I have it right here in my hand. And she wrote, I sincerely hope that you'll find the joy in this little book that I have over the years, sent with love, Mom, December 24, 1983. Mm. So this is still a cherished possession, but now confession time, right? So this little book sat unopened on my shelf for more than a dozen years. Mm. I I just never read it. And when I finally did open it up and began to, to read it for the first time, let me just say I was transported. Yeah. Never before had I read such words that were at once so beautiful and musical and so utterly compelling. I mean, I was just tremendously moved by it. And that little book put me on a completely different trajectory with respect to working out my faith. It was truly transformative and is really kind of the backbone of my formation and uh, 
and, and led me to this point. Well, that's really exciting. So again, if you're just tuning in, this is Red Sea Catholic Radio, Red Sea Roundup. You're listening to Pam Marvin and Thaddeus Romanski <laughs> talking with John Schrader, who's bringing out a new illuminated edition of The Imitation of Christ. And that's a perfect time for you, John, to now tell us, tell the, start list, telling the listeners a little bit about what is this little book, this Imitation of Christ that we're talking about. Well, let me Go add ahead. to sorry. that. Oh, because Pam, you want to jump I, in? I'm sorry. so sorry. I'm so sorry because you guys are, you know, very educated and knowledgeable. But when Thaddeus and I first spoke about it, I was like, what does it mean to be an illuminated edition of uh, the Thomas Akimpa? So if you could tell, because like, we keep using that word, but maybe some of our listeners, much like myself, did not know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you you want to take that first, the, the illuminated piece of it? Let's do that first. Um. Sure. So you have to remember here. So this, uh, it wasn't until 1440 that Gutenberg invented the printing press. Mm-hmm. So prior to that, books were hand copied. So you can imagine what a you know, laborious and time-consuming task that was. And so books were both, you know, rare and very expensive. And uh, the work of making them often fell to monks working in scriptoriums uh, by candlelight with inks and colors that they actually worked up on site. That part, that's an amazing story in and of itself. And, uh, apply, and then they applied their work to parchment or vellum, which was made from the skin of a calf or a sheep or a goat. Mm-hmm. And so it also turns out that these books were a tremendous source of income for the monasteries. Now, an illuminated manuscript is one where the text is adorned with decorations, like you know, elaborate big capital letters at the start of a major section of the book, as well as the fancy borders and little miniature illustrations. And when they used gold or silver in these treatments, uh, the work would catch the light and become illuminated. Uh-huh. So there's uh, an amazing example um, in the Book of Kells that a lot of people might know that was actually done in the ninth century. It's on display at uh, Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, and it's something to behold. You know, So these illuminated manuscripts were produced between the 6th century and the early 16th century, but in lesser numbers later on, primarily because of the printing press, and also mostly just for the very wealthy you know, who would commission one. But the artwork in these illuminated manuscripts is just exquisite and a wonderful art form in its own right. And so when applied to scriptural, you know, uh, uh, spiritual content, you know, it's, it's illuminated in two ways, just visually and, and then also um, spiritually. Yes. And so the illuminations that we applied in this book are based on motifs that were contemporary to the writing of the imitation. Okay. And each of the three books that we included in this edition uh, features variations on those artistic themes. And the other thing that we did is to weave throughout the book selected uh, works of art, artworks, again, that were contemporary to the time of the writing, that depict the life of Christ um, in sequence from the Annunciation to the Ascension. Mm-hmm. So taken together, it's just a, so a, a feast for the eyes. Yeah, yes, and, and uh, since I was only able to look at the, the PDF version in, in review— um, let let our listeners know. I'm curious to know what's the format of the book. Is it a coffee table size? Is it standard format? Talk about that. Yeah, it's it's a large. You know, it's a coffee table size book. Okay. Um, hardband and it has a it comes with a slipcase. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice. It makes a really nice presentation. 
Okay. And then I think this is a good time to talk about uh, a practical thing, which is what's the, what's the, uh, what are the various places where they can, can pick it up? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Certainly. Uh, Sophia Institute.com. Right. Uh, and, and it's in distribution, you know, everywhere. Um, and their number is 1-800-888-9344. Okay. So sophiainstitute.com. Very good. Very good. So John, um, one of the things that I found very interesting as I was looking into the, the interview about, uh, this, the imitation of Christ with you was I learned that, um, for a period of time, the authorship of the imitation of Christ had been debated. Some people said it had been written by St. Bonaventure. Others said St. Benedict. Even some had attributed it to Pope Innocent III. Others, how, how is it that the authorship is now pretty well agreed to belong to Thomas Akempis? And, and who was he and why has this debate about authorship existed anyway? Sure. So the book was first published anonymously, so that didn't help, right, mm-hmm. in 1418, which was the practice. Um, and it's interesting that Thomas Akempis encourages his readers to read good books, but without respect to the author. You know, listen, you know, for example, to this passage that I'll, I'll just read this briefly. We ought to be as ready to read a devotional book, which is quite simple, as we are to read those which enter deeply and learnedly into their subjects. Mm -hmm. Let not the authority of the writer, whether he be of high or low literary repute, influence you, but let the love of pure truth draw you to read. You Mm -hmm. should not inquire who wrote it, but consider attentively what is written. So that's interesting. Uh, So we know that, you know, credit for authorship was not a big deal to Thomas Akempis. And yet... There does exist a signed manuscript. It's in the Royal Library in Brussels, and it contains the first four books, The Imitation, and nine other minor works. So, yeah, and so it is true that his authorship has been challenged, but without ultimately convincing anyone for a host of reasons. So, you know, claims of other authorship have largely been debunked. Um, But it's also interesting to note that The Imitation comprises only about a tenth of all his works. Uh, which were, like the imitation, intended as instructions for novice monks. And so now that we have this this corpus of work, right, and his singular voice comes through at all of them. You know, you know, as a writer, he had a voice. And um, it's interesting that some of the people who uh, are suggested as uh, for authorship, uh, Akempis actually quotes in the book. And so there are echoes of uh, oh. passages from spiritual writers that went before him, it's really reverberate through the pages of this book, which nonetheless is still very original. So, right. and, and it does, you know, it references the writings of, of other saints, philosophers, even Seneca, uh, and of course the scriptures um, you know, throughout the imitation. I mean, you can scarcely read a sentence that does not recall some biblical passage. And Akempis did transcribe the entire uh, Bible multiple times himself. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. You know, to go back to the illuminated piece, and we're, we're talking with John Schrader about a new edition brought out by Sophia Institute Press of the Imitation of Christ, and he's the editor. You're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio. We're talking with John Schrader. Um, to go back to the, the illuminated aspect, I think one of the most profound things about that practice of illuminating uh, works 
for a thousand years, as you said, is that it was totally useless in terms of it didn't have any practical utility. It took a long time and um, it was it was completely about lifting the spirit, lifting the intellect to contemplate those higher things. It was about the spiritual illumination rather than the, um, uh, you know, maybe the profit, profit motive. Fair, fair to say? Well, it, it was for those working in the scriptorium, an act of worship. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is what they did. It's precisely what they did. Yeah, and they so, were amazingly talented, as we know. Yes. So this is just another way, like this artistic mode, say, with our icons, a different way of praying. This, the illuminated texts were also a way of praying. So that was is that a, a fair correlation? Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely awesome. true. Awesome. That's really cool. And, and they would even do little funny little commentaries in the margins of some yeah. of these things. Yeah. yeah. And some of them are actually quite, quite quaint and interesting. And and the the practice had a lot of influence on the Western tradition of book production and publishing, right? I mean, that's where the whole notion of large capitals that start a, a chapter that even still are used in books today stem from. Yes, exactly. And they're quite elaborate. And there are so you know many different schools of of design. Um, you know, the, the the Celtic ones, of course, are are exquisite. Um, but yeah. Yeah, there are many beautiful examples. Okay, so I have kind of just an intellectual curiosity. So as you are the author of the illuminated text, tell me how this came, how you put this together. Did you pull in the um, the artwork? Did you do some of this hand lettering? I mean, tell us how you put this together. If you're looking at it from this grand, you know, like from... Like I, I have like just the regular text, but then to illuminate. How did you? How did you even do this, John? Well, um, so to begin with, you know, I really, I really wanted to honor this book in a special way on the occasion of the 600-year anniversary, and so I worked on it uh, with my art director Ed Rother mm. uh, over a period of ten years. Oh wow. And, <laughs> Yeah, this was this truly was a labor of love yeah, for a amen. long, long yeah. time, mm-hmm. and um, you know it, we worked on it when we could. But again, you know, looking toward toward this this auspicious date <laughs> to get it done, um, and we literally rendering it page by page in the style of an ancient illuminated medieval manuscript, you know, the kind of book that they would have been producing six hundred years ago, and so. Um, the first point of, uh, of of reference in all of this is, um, is the tra- the particular translation, uh, because I should tell you I should back up just a little bit. The Imitation of Christ is, after the Bible, the most widely read and translated book in the world. No, and so it is also one of the most influential of all Christian writings. Uh, you know, once being described as the most excellent production that ever yet issued from the hand of man. And that's just how I feel about it. Um, and so it is this beautiful book with so many translations, and I went through a great number of them. And interestingly enough, I came back to the very translation that was used in the, in the book that my mother gave me. Hmm. And so there may be some bias involved there, but it was, this was, it was originally um, uh, written in Latin by Thomas Akempis. Okay, I was going to ask and that. Yes, and so uh, this 
uh, translation comes from the 1700s by Richard, uh, Bishop uh, Richard Chal- Chaloner. And okay. to this day, his, his translation is, in my opinion, simply the most beautiful and, and, and edifying. Yeah, and his, is, and so, his, and then, his translation of the uh, Dewey Reams is considered to be the best version of that Dewey Reams Bible, correct? That's it. Yes, yes, he translated. Yes, exactly. He's responsible for that as well. He was a brilliant man, obviously. And there are uh, numerous other English language you know, translations out there, including modern, modern language versions, but none of them really match this poetic expression and music and you know, the language and the phrasing that's just sublime, which to me further amplifies the power of the work. So, um, so from there, it was, uh, you know, finding uh, the, the motifs that we would use to apply, and, and that was a lot of research there to, to settle on, on some uh, uh, design considerations. And then there was the selection of the artworks. That was a lot of fun, too. Uh, the artworks that uh, depict the life of Christ um, in sequence. And so um, it all came together over a long period of time, and... When the folks at Sophia Institute Press learned about it, they really gave the project a boost and, and made it happen. And they've just been an amazing partner, fantastic people there and a delight to work with. And it turns out I actually have a very long history with one of the folks there, uh, Michael DeMonico, that dates back to when we were both Protestants working in the mm. music industry. Mm. So, uh, so it, was, it was meant to be. Yeah, it sounds so, like it. And it sounds like you, yeah. you started the, the project or and we're working on it for a number of years without any kind of a commitment from a press. So you were, you were trusting in, uh, in Providence. Yes. Absolutely. And we knew one way or another, it was going to come about. And one of the first things I did is uh, we took our design files and we had them printed on a very high quality process. And we found the most amazing bookbinder who works in the traditional old uh, guild style of, of, um, of book binding. Wow. And we actually created a video of the entire process of this book being made with this exquisite leather cover and the hand stitching and, and all of that. And so that really uh, just pulled us all the more deeply into it to see it, you know, in, in a tangible form now. Mm-hmm. And that of course made it, made it easy for Sophia to see what this could, what this could do. Well, that is tremendous. Um, talk a little bit about, the four kind of four sections that make up the imitation of Christ. Um, what I have down are there's thoughts helpful in the life of the soul, the interior life, internal consolation, and then finally an invitation to Holy Communion. Can you sketch each of those little portions for us? Yeah. So our edition comprises the first three books. We did not, okay. as many other editions, have also chosen not to include the fourth book, which is the Invitation to Holy Communion, because it just doesn't fit with the others. It really is a standalone work that kind of got appended. Oh, okay. Um, and so, we, yeah, we may produce it uh, as such later. Uh, but the first three, though, work together beautifully. And taken together, they really do present the fundamental principles of the spiritual life. So book one useful admonitions for a spiritual life shows us how to reject the vanities of the world, to avoid pride, to embrace obedience and adversity and solitude. And its objective is to raise us above the world, to transcend the world 
and lead us uh, to Jesus himself. Okay? So uh, this would um, be akin to the process uh, that the old desert fathers uh, used to apply, right? They had a, a yeah. threefold uh, process of formation that begins with purgation, right? Purging. I was going to ask about uh, that. All the, yeah. the negatives. Yeah. So I, I was going to actually is, ask if that's that's what I saw in this, but you're actually verifying it now that that this the admonitions for the spiritual life it goes first purgative, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next illuminative, and then unitive. That's exactly right, and okay. and this is is um, it is akin to that. It doesn't precisely follow that formula, okay. But it it is very consistent with it. Uh, and so the second book, admonitions concerning interior things, focuses on the life to be led by a follower of Jesus. You know, with a reminder that no one is richer more powerful or freer than he who can renounce all and set himself in the lowest place. Uh, and it opens with this, this following passage, which I think is just sublime, if I can just read it. The kingdom of God is within you, saith the Lord. Turn you with your whole heart unto the Lord and forsake this miserable world and your soul shall find rest. Learn to despise outward things and to give yourself to inward and you shall feel the kingdom of God arise within you. Mm. Christ will come to you and reveal to you his consolation, provided that you prepare for him a worthy dwelling within you. All his glory and beauty are from within, and there he delights himself. Many visits he makes to the inner man and holds sweet colloquies with the soul, soothing it, filling it with peace, and admitting it to an exceedingly wonderful familiarity with him. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. The book is just replete with that. Mm. And then finally, book three, uh, of internal consolation highlights the contrast between the natural man and the man influenced by the grace of God. And it begins, blessed are the ears which catch the breathings of the divine whisper and pay no heed to the whispers of the world. Blessed indeed are the ears which listen not for the voice which sounds from without, but to the inner voice of truth. Blessed are the eyes which are closed to outward objects, but intent upon inward, Blessed are they who dive into things internal and strive day by day through spiritual exercises to gain a deeper capacity for receiving heavenly secrets. So these passages offer just a taste of, of all that's there, which you hear is just deep and, and rich. I can see that the writing in this book, and it takes me back to the times that I've read around in The Imitation of Christ, you uh, you have to stop and ponder after just a few sentences because the passages are so dense with material, with thoughts worth um, really spending some time with. They they really parallel um, scripture in that way a great deal. It seems like it almost is a companion for you know. Lexio Divina or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it is. And I suggest that people simply read a few passages a day. Yeah. Because as you say, there is so much to contemplate. I mean, just those, those two readings that I offered up um, is much to contemplate for a day. 
Yeah. Right. I want to jump in here real quick because I had a reflection this morning about um, true freedom. You know, we, we talk about that, and recently um, our priest here had given a homily on true freedom is that that ability that we fall within and we stay within God's laws and His order, and it's very beautiful. And so, what I see in this is such a beautiful companion as we struggle as humans to grasp the idea that freedom really comes from following God's law, that this is a way of walking with Christ and showing us, look, come with me. This is my freedom. Follow this path. I mean, this is a perfect uh, reflection of that. Like you say, with the day-to-day reading of passages, it's a way that he leads us into that beautiful freedom where we use our free will to say, I want to follow you and your laws to experience the freedom that you have awaiting for us. That's a beautiful summary. That's an absolutely beautiful summary of the book. In short, really, it's about helping people cultivate this intimate relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus. Right? It, and the imitation of Christ shows us what that looks like through instruction and prayer and amazing heartfelt dialogues. And what makes it so warm is this use of the word friend. The imitation of Christ is really about friendship with Jesus. And you know, I'll give you, again, three just short examples. He says things like, you cannot live well without a friend. And if Jesus is not your friend above all others, you will be very sad and desolate. Or love him and keep him for your friend, and he will stand by you when all of the friends depart and will not suffer you to perish at the last. Mm. Or uh, who alone is found good and faithful above all friends? Who has dealt with me mercifully beyond all expectation and has manifested grace and friendship beyond all desert? So I find these passages to be very comforting, and they incline me to want to enter in. And every page is an invitation uh, to this friendship. And this is why I think it is so relevant today. Um, The invitation will help you to, A, be inspired to live your faith in a more powerful and meaningful way. B, be amazed by what happens when you do. C, be comforted and even encouraged when you're visited by by various trials. And D, have your blood pressure lowered in the process. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it really is amazing how centering and calming uh, it is is for me in that sense. And and this work that we're talking about and... um gushing over because it's it is so spiritually <laughs> wonderful is the imitation of Christ um, written 600 years ago by Thomas Akempis and it's being brought out in a new illuminated edition by Sophia Institute Press we're talking with the editor of this edition John Schrader you're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio on 88.5 FM KEDC in the Brazos Valley 98.3 FM KYAR in Central Texas and 107.9 FM in Palestine, Texas. And I'm looking, John, at the the PDF version of the of the illuminated edition, and I have to tell everyone who's listening that this is this is a work of art that you would be bringing into your home. It it's retailing at eighty dollars on Sophia Institute Press, but you are getting something that every page is covered with. Um, Again, artful capitals, um, beautiful typesetting. Every page is has this um, 
floral kind of pattern design that uh, repeats from page to page. And then as John has said, there are uh, just great works from the Christian artistic tradition that have been um, brought in and laid out as you go through the, the imitation of Christ. And it's just a beautiful piece of, of art to have in your, your home. And I think speak to, speak to our need for beautiful things, John. Well, really, I think that's what it all comes down to. Um, particularly when in the process you were, you were taking in the whole essence of, of the Christian life. And, uh, and so uh, to me, it's simply inspiring and, and to read it in, in this particular format makes it all the more so. Uh, particularly in this noisy world. This is a time to be quiet and contemplate and appreciate beauty. Mm. And it has an astounding impact uh, on spirit, mind, and body. Yes, it does. Yes, so it does. Agreed. So agreed. Yeah, contemplating beauty. I mean, that's actually <laughs> um, you know, like in my little prayer j- journal on, you know, when I'm having a, a rough week or whatnot, um, the Holy Spirit really inspires me again to go back to... Um, and, beauty. I mean, beauty will save the world, I believe JP2 said. And and this piece right here um, is such as that, uh, beautiful in both text and visually. Um, I, I saw just a moment ago in one of the descriptions that has brought comfort to millions, right? And these are the words. So this is that companionship, that walking with Christ, that not only comfort through these words, but indeed the beauty of the pages of this illuminate. I, I can't thank you enough for, for really even doing this project, John. You said it's a labor of love, and um, I, I can't thank you enough for embarking on that. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you've enjoyed it, and I hope that your listeners will as well. And uh, thanks so much for having me. I, I could talk all day on this. <laughs> yeah, well, we have about we have about six <laughs> more six more minutes uh, that we're going to have you on with us. Something else I want to ha- have you talk about is, you know, I'm looking at uh, chapter 12, which is of the profitableness of adversity, and I'll quote a little passage here from Thomas Akempis. It is. He says, it is good for us to sometimes suffer contradiction and to be badly or disparagingly thought of, even when we do and mean well. And I I bring that passage out to have you talk a little bit about people who pick this up, they are going to read things that are going to strike them as strange, that are going to slap them upside the head, that are going to make them reconsider uh, our presuppositions about how we're supposed to be treated, about what life is supposed to deal us. And it, it really um, kind of shakes us out of our, our, our comfortability. Um, why is that so important in the Christian life? You know, we're talking about beauty and eloquence and quiet contemplation, but the fact is this book is actually really quite shocking. Yes. And that's because of what it asks of its reader. You know, what is this idea of imitation? What does that mean for the believer? And uh, at the center of this is this audacious idea expressed in this bold statement. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the imitation of Christ really lays down this dividing line, this hinge 
upon which all else in the Christian life swings. And this, of course, is the most fundamental aspect of the gospel message. And again, to this incredible end, you know, this book inspires and encourages its readers to enter into this life, you know, if you so dare, and to embrace and even relish the idea of taking up one's cross. But clearly it is worth it and worth aligning one's life uh, to this idea. And then it laments those who do not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, uh, you know, his, his teaching surpasses all that the saints have taught. And he who has the spirit will find in it the hidden manna. But it happens that many who often hear the gospel experience but little desire for it because they do not possess the spirit of Christ. For if you will completely and with delight enter into the meaning of Christ's words, you must take pains to bring your life into entire conformity with his. Imagine that. Right. I mean, you're really, frankly, leaving us very speechless. We're like, I think Daddyness and I both, I can really feel it. We're like, yeah, we just want to like chew on that for just a minute because it really just yeah. uh, is so much there to contemplate, to ponder, uh, to take to the Lord too. And wow. Wow. Yeah. And that, that can be applied to not only other people who we come across in our day and our life who, who have not responded to the gospel invitation, and also reflect back on ourselves that all the times that we have failed to respond fully, uh, completely, trustingly, and to endeavor to do better. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, meant, you mentioned earlier in your program, Teresa Vavila, you know, the idea of suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she's one of her uh, well-known statements, if we only knew how good suffering was for us, mm-hmm. we would ask for it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we, and we also had that wonderful example of Father Hollowell, what he's, what he's going through, the priest yeah. who is suffering from the brain tumor. And he clearly uh, appears to understand the greatness of suffering and what, what can be great, gained from in, it. And going back to Therese for a second, I think that was uh, the main theme that, came, that I took away from her book, The Story of the Soul, uh, which was the phrase that she said, I can no longer suffering for all suffering is a gift from my Lord. And I, I mean, I think I had to really like ponder for five years before I like could bite off a little piece and go, okay, okay. I think I'm ready for just a small nibble on that piece of uh, brilliance. Yeah. I'm... And you know what makes it accessible in the imitation is the dialogues. Because in the dialogues, he's talking about his suffering and, and Jesus is answering him. In this beautiful conversation, and uh, uh, and it's it's all toward the end of deepening that relationship, to entering deeper into the mystery, to producing humility, and ultimately bearing all these fruits that he promises. Well, we're here under two minutes, John. Um, if you've just been, if you just joined us, we've been spending this part of the show talking with John Schrader. He is the editor of a new illuminated edition of the Imitation of Christ, and for the people who've just maybe gotten with us and to wrap everything up, John, just tell people about what the imitation of Christ is, why it's been brought out again now by you and where they can pick it up. Well, it is the most beautiful piece of devotional literature in the history of the church. And it is as relevant and resonant uh, today as it ever was. Uh, And we are just so delighted that we can present it here on its 600-year anniversary uh, to a whole new generation. 
And we hope that it will it will spur a movement, uh, a revival, actually, in the church uh, to learn and to live the essence of the gospel message. Thank you so much. And, and where can they get it, John, again? They can get it from sophiainstitute.com. And their number also is 1-800-888-9344. And it is available at uh, all the... Uh, usual retail and online outlets as well. All right, John, we're going to say goodbye. Um, We really have enjoyed having you along with us today, and we've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you for sharing and just kind of breathing new life into this for us. Maybe our listeners will go out and uh, be able to research and find more comfort in this. And and I guarantee they will find it. (laughs) I have no doubt. Yeah, so... (laughs) We had uh, just a great show today. I think we got to talk about John, Father John Hallowell's uh, experience, uh, the suffering that he's offering up for the church. Mm-hmm. We got to hear about the KYR benefit dinner coming up in uh, Waco on May 7th. We invited you to go and check out our Red Sea Catholic retreat, our family retreat on March 6th and 7th here in Bryan College Station. Busy show today, Pam. Thank you, Thaddeus, for uh, leading it today. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, and we just encourage you to tune in next week when uh, you're going to be back with Judy Como. And uh, always, uh, always stay tuned into Red Sea Catholic Radio because it's uh, good for your soul. <laughs>